I watched a movie this week. It's actually from a few years ago. Uh, you may have seen it called Chappie. It's about a robot. Uh, it's very reminiscent of many robot, robot movies where the robot is kind of human and the kind of question of the sci-fi is what makes us human and could we ever make a robot or write a computer program in artificial intelligence that's basically the equivalent of human consciousness or maybe even more advanced than human consciousness and certainly is a question du jour about even the capabilities in the near future of our, our own real artificial intelligence um, as much as an oxymoron as that sounds like actual artificial intelligence there's a one I don't think it's a particularly well told story and there are a lot of plot holes in it but there's one scene that kind of struck me where the robot that this computer genius has uploaded consciousness.dat, which is the program he actually puts in on a little USB thumb drive into the robot. Uh, he chose this, the hardware is this like police robot that was going to be crushed. It was going to be destroyed because it was faulty. It had been hit with a rocket. And so the, the battery had fused with the processor, which meant it could, the battery couldn't be changed meaning it was going to die. Like there was gonna, you couldn't replace the battery on this thing. So once it was conscious, it was like learning. It was like a human being forming relationships. But then it realized, oh, I'm going to die. I can't change my batteries. And I have like five days to live. It was learning faster than any human being, but it had this very, very short lifespan. And it, and it was conscious of that fact. And he said to his maker, this computer guy, why did you put me in a body that would die? You knew I would die. And I, I thought like, oh, okay, so that's the deep question of this movie. Because then we, could, we can all sort of look at our maker and say, why would you put me in a body that would die? Do you, do you not love me? You know, why is there suffering in the world? Why is there these things that we can't, with our minds that are conscious, unlike every other thing in nature, has no idea it will die, even if it will. Has no idea that it will pass away. We are conscious of this fact, of our future suffering, of our future annihilation. We say, God, do you love me? But what it made me think of was when, you know, we're not like robots who can look our maker in the eye, who happens to be a faulty, sinful, ignorant human being who just like was trying with his wild genius to make some, to play God basically, and put this pro computer program in a robot that was destined to be crushed and destroyed. Um, our God is something totally different. And it kind of begs the question, like, one day we just all woke up and we exist, right? And we, we were like chappy. We like just looked out at the world and slowly but surely learned what things were called and learned that I had a name and that these people in my life like unconditionally love me and give me what I need and teach me how to live. And the wonder of being, just kind of we woke up to it one day, slowly. And then you take it for granted. And then you're like, it's not good enough, and one day it's going to be over. And that stuff about heaven, it's hard for me to believe that that's like such a fancy behind-the-sky thing. Like, we've lost the wonder of what it actually is to exist, and that why wouldn't there be another world if every generation of human being has always thought, what happens when you die? And they've had some version of the story. And, and then finally, one day, there was a revelation in Christ, and the whole world changed, and, and this gospel has been proclaimed, and like, we're the ones that are going to figure out, like, no, that's all just made up. And, it's because we've been disenchanted with what it is to actually exist. We're not just hardware with a computer program uploaded in here. We are like outgrowths of, of a being with a capital B. Monsignor Giussani, Luigi Giussani, wrote uh, this analogy. He said, it's like if a river could think, 
it would ponder, like, where, where am I coming from? And if it was smart enough, it would realize, like, there must be, if I go back up my riverness far enough, there must be some wellspring, maybe deep underground or in a mountainside somewhere that's feeding me with being. That's why I'm just like this flowing water, but I'm like, where am I coming from? Where's all this water? Where's this dynamism, this life? It's coming from somewhere invisible. That's not me. Like, I'm not the spring, but I'm, a, I'm proof that it exists because here I am. And if the river could think and it was conscious and it had a heart, it would thank that, that wellspring for giving it life, not just at the beginning, but constantly feeding it with being. That's what we are. Because God is not just a computer genius. He's not like us, but like just a little bit more advanced. He's totally other. And so what it means, it, like don't let this wash over you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first commandment and the other commandments like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The two are kind of sides of the same coin because our neighbor is made in the image of God. And so, of course, we should love him or her because they're the image of God. That's how I love God is by loving his children, my brothers and sisters. But what is it to love God? It's so profound. To lo- it's like loving the wellspring. And why is it strange? Because... Like the river and the, and the wellspring, God to me is like more intimate to myself than I am to myself. I'm inseparable from God. I'm his creature. The only reason I exist is because he's right now speaking me into being. So it's almost like we're inseparable. I'm like part of him. I only have being because he is giving it to me constantly. But at the same time, he's totally other. He's absolutely transcendent. He's not like you where I can like look at you and love you and listen to you and tell you who I am, and, and we can have a, a relationship, a peer-to-peer friendship. God is totally transcendent. He's totally other. And so it's kind of like, sometimes you're like, what would it look like even for me to love God? Just like talk to him a lot, say I love you, like the psalm response today, I love you, Lord, my strength. If you've ever done that just alone in your room, maybe you felt a little weird, like, God, I love you. You know what I mean? So what does it mean to actually love God? Well, a lot of times I think what we think it means is go to church, do what you're supposed to do, help out at the food pantry, obey the law. You know, that's your loving God if you, if you do all the right things. I was talking the other day to one of our focus missionaries, and it was, you know, it was rainy and kind of dreary all week. And we were talking about how sometimes it's nice to have a dreary day because you like sitting inside, you know, um, and just like reading or having a cup of coffee and not having to feel like you have to go outside and enjoy the day or go for a run, or do anything, like, strenuous. But if it's nice out, you feel like you have to get outside. It's like, maybe it's a different form of Catholic guilt, but it's kind of good. It's like, motivates you to... It'd be a sin not to go enjoy the sunshine today. In a way, that's like what it means to love God, to make your whole life... We have this sense. Make your whole life an intentional, personal act of thanksgiving to God. Not to waste a moment of it. Not to get any of these gifts and say, no, thank you but to just receive them constantly. But that sin is to say no to the gift. It's to like settle for some other form of life that's like less. And so St. Irenaeus said, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. That's what God wants. He's not like some creator just like us who says, love me, that's my commandment. That would be weird, wouldn't it? If God was like us and he, he just made us because he wanted attention, 
No, he's not like that. He's totally other. He's that wellspring that is constantly giving us life. And the way to thank him, the way to love him, is to receive it completely and then give it back as an offering. So two things to finish. What does it look like to live this intentional, personal act of thanksgiving all the time? One is this commandment. The first word of it is hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is Lord alone. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God. Hear. Listen. What does that mean? It's saying like our hearts are deaf a lot of times to both our own elementary experience, this question like Chappie is asking, like why did you put me in a body that would die? It's actually good to ask questions like that. Like who are you, God? What am I doing here? Why did you create me? To listen to our hearts and those deep, deep places that are crying out for answers. And then to hear what the answers are, to actually listen for the voice of God, to believe that that source of my existence relates to me like a father relates to his children. That he actually loves me and wants to speak to me and has revealed himself in his son Jesus. To listen to the revelation of who he is. A lot of times we we don't live this intentional thanksgiving because we're not listening to our hearts and to the one who speaks to them. And then secondly, to ask the question, what am I living for today? I think it's kind of beautiful actually that they say, Millennials and Gen Z or whatever, they, that us younger people, yes, I'm young like you, um, don't, aren't so preoccupied with accruing possessions, but accruing experiences. Have you ever heard that? That young people are more, more interested in experiences than things. I think that's great. But what does it mean to experience something? Right? To actually experience it. I think there's this sense of like, if I'm living my best life, living my truth, that like there's some way in the future if I just learn how to make sourdough and I go to all the right countries and I like figure out how to steam milk perfectly at core and like I'm the you know I can have all these skills and and enjoyments and I can be a connoisseur of life and I can be healthy I can exercise well I can have good friendships I can have a good romantic life etc and just like live this perfect happiness that God has for me by just organizing myself. And maybe you're a perfectionist and you live with this. Like, the only reason I'm not happy is because I'm not doing it right. If you've ever had that sense. There's no way you're ever going to do it right on your own. The only way to live this act of thanksgiving is to have him live it in you. Which is why we come to the Eucharist every Sunday, which is Greek Eucharistia, for thanksgiving. Only by taking into our own bodies God himself, this origin, this wellspring, the logos that organizes the cosmos, like the very order and dynamism at the heart of everything that is, we have to actually take him into ourselves, into our hearts, and he can organize it. He can make us into this, what we call saint, a person whose whole life is consecrated, is, whole, is, is a perfect act of thanksgiving to God. So if you hear this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, as just like Jesus' chores, you're not doing it right. You got to try harder. It's not it. It's a thing he wants to live in you, through you, with you. To, and to enter into this act of thanksgiving, which acknowledges this origin and wellspring that is more intimate to myself than I am to myself and more transcendent to the world than anything else that is. And to live all and everything for him.